be back with you this evening. We've enjoyed our day here. We really appreciate all the kindness that you've shown unto us. And you don't always get that everywhere you go, do you? You don't always find that. But we're so thankful that uh, we're able to find that here. And we appreciate your kindness toward us. Have you ever heard anyone talk about the good old days? Sometimes we talk about the good old days, don't we? I remember my dad talking about the good old days in conjunction with how easy times were when I was growing up. He said, now back in the good old days when I was walking to school and I was doing this and I was doing that, maybe I was complaining a little bit about not having, uh, maybe not having worked enough that week and not having the gas money that I thought I needed to have to be able to run around. He said, well, we didn't have to worry about that because we didn't have cars. But we do hear a lot about the good old days, don't we? Let's think about that. Good old days when we got water out of a pump. We took a bath in the kitchen floor next to some sort of a heat source. It certainly wasn't uh, uh, heating and cooling, was it? Those were the days when screen doors and breezeways were used to get a little air into the house. But you know, I don't think we want to go back to those days. The horse and the buggy was fine, but isn't the automobile and the jet plane a lot faster and more comfortable? Sure it is. Turning on a faucet is so much nicer than stepping out on the back porch. I can remember a friend of mine lived through the woods and we spent a lot of time together and that's how he got water. He'd go out there and lower that, uh, wasn't a bucket, it was the silver tube that you would send down into the pipe of the well and bring it up and you'd pull the little lever at the top and the water would come out. He took a bath in the, in the kitchen floor or he did in the in the living room next to the coal stove, one of those round coal stoves, a potbelly stove. You know, isn't a faucet so much nicer on a winter morning that you turn that on and hot water starts coming out? Sure it is. Of course it is. Air conditioning feels so much better than sweating it out into the summer, isn't it? You know, but when we look around and we look at the things that are happening in our society today. The crime rate's going up. The, uh, uh, the morals of the people are going down. And you know, maybe we think that all things modern aren't that good. Maybe we ought to go back to the good old days. One man wrote this. He said, I was talking to my dad about current events the other night. I asked him what he thought about the shootings at school. The immoral government that we have, the computer and just things in general. He said, well, I don't know. Let me think about that. He said, the good old days. He said, I was born before television, penicillin, polio shots, frozen food, Xerox, contact lenses, and Frisbees. He said, there weren't such things as radar, credit cards, laser beams, or ballpoint pens. Man had yet to invent the pantyhose, dishwashers, clothes dryers, electric blankets, air conditioners, and he had not walked on the moon. Your mom and I got married first, then lived together. Every family had a father and a mother, and every kid over 14 had a rifle, and his dad taught him how to use it, and he respected it. He said, until I was 25, I uh, uh, referred to every man older than me as sir. Sunday was set aside for going to church with your family, helping those in need, and just plain visiting with your neighbors. We were before gay rights, computer dating, dual careers, daycare centers, and group therapy. Our lives were governed by the Bible, good judgment, and common sense. 
We were taught to know the difference between right and wrong, to stand up and take responsibility for our actions. He said, serving your country was a privilege and living there was even a greater privilege. Having a meaningful relationship meant getting along with your cousins. Draft dodgers were people who closed their front doors when the evening breeze started. And time sharing meant the family, uh, time the family spent together, not condominiums. We never heard of FM radio, tape decks, CDs, electric typewriters, artificial hearts, word processors, yogurt, or guys wearing earrings. We listened to the big bands, Jack Benny and the President's speeches on the radio. He said, I don't ever remember a kid killing themselves because he listened to Tommy Dorsey. If you saw anything with Made in Japan on it, it was junk. The term making out referred to how you did on your school exam. Pizzas, McDonald's, and instant coffee were unheard of. We had five and ten cent stores where you could actually buy things for five and ten cents. Ice cream cones, phone calls, rides on a streetcar, and a cola were all a nickel. And if you didn't want to splurge, you could spend your nickel on enough stamps to mail a letter and two postcards. You could buy a new Chevy Coupe for $600, but who could afford that? Too bad because gas was 11 cents a gallon. In my day, grass was mowed, coke was a cold drink, pot was something your mother cooked in, and rock music was your grandmother's lullaby. Aides were helpers in the principal's office. A chip meant a piece of wood. Hardware was found in a hardware store, and software wasn't even heard of. We were not before the difference between the sexes was discovered, but we were surely before the sex change. And we were the last generation to be so dumb as expect to expect that you need a husband to have a baby. No wonder people today call us old and confused. There is such a generation gap. Now this man at that time said, and I'm only 53. Then he asked, did you get all of that? Did you understand that, son? Now we need to understand that not everything modern is good. Sometimes we do need to go back to the good old days. and We need to go back and do some things that have been preserved for us in the in the Holy Scripture. We need to go back and we need to understand what God has in store for us. Jeremiah tried to get the people of Israel to understand that very thing. Now, if you would open your Bibles to Jeremiah 6, we're going to notice verses 16 through 19. Jeremiah 6, 16 through 19. We're going to look at this passage this evening for just a few moments and we're going to try to understand that the good old days were in fact the good old days. Thus saith the Lord... Stand ye in the ways, and see, and ask for the old paths. Where is the good way, and walk therein, and ye shall find rest for your souls. But they said, We will not walk therein. Also I set watchmen over you, saying, Hearken to the sound of the trumpet. But they said, We will not hearken. Therefore hear, ye nations, and know, O congregation, what is among them. Hear, O earth, behold, I will bring evil upon this people, even the fruit of their thoughts, because they have not hearkened unto my words, not to my law, but rejected it. Jeremiah was trying to get the people of Israel to go back to the good old days. The old path that was good. Not their new path where they were sacrificing their very own children to idol gods that did not exist. They had a problem. They'd gotten off the path. They weren't walking along the right path. They'd stepped outside the light of God. And they were making their own way in the world. Jesus warned the people of His day this. Let's notice Matthew 7, 13 through 14. We all know this passage. 
He said, Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it. Because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. How does the situation with which Jeremiah contended in his day help us today? It has to help us in some way, right? It isn't helpful for us to merely repeat what happened, to read it to ourselves, to read it to someone else. We have to make some kind of application with that, don't we? We need to be able to look at the words that Jeremiah spoke and break them down and apply them to our lives and say, you know, I don't want to step off of that path and this is how I go about not stepping off of that path. Because if I do what they did, I'm going to be in the dark and not in the light. We need to understand how those people got to where they were and how we can keep from going there ourselves. I want us to notice the very first thing that Jeremiah addressed in our passage this evening. He addressed the fact that they needed to be concerned with the faith. He pointed them back to the faith that they needed to understand. The faith that had brought them up out of Egypt so many years before that. The faith that allowed them to be able to journey through the wilderness for 40 years. The faith that allowed them to go into the land of Canaan and take that land away from the heathens that were there the faith that would ultimately get them to heaven if they walked in it. They truly needed to believe in that faith once more. Now in a time when people claim that faith is a mere expression of the heart or a mental assent, we know better, don't we? There are some things that we need to understand. Faith is not developed over a lifetime of experiences. Faith is not developed because we live in a certain situation. All people, no matter the situation in which they live, can have the saving faith that lives in the heart of all Christians. And it doesn't have anything to do with our personal experiences. In fact, it is born out of listening. Listening. We have to listen. Romans ten seventeen says that the old faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. That's how it has always been. That's exactly how it's always been. Man has always gained faith in the exact same way, and they've been saved in the exact same way from the very beginning of time. Now the method or the mode has changed over time, but it has always been faith is developed by hearing God's words, and we're saved by grace through faith. Now that may mean offering a certain sacrifice and living in that way until Christ could die on the cross for us. Or that may mean following the gospel plan of salvation, which is what we live under today. But it is still grace through faith. If the message of faith is not born in the God of heaven, it will not be good. It cannot be born in something else. Notice what Peter said, 2 Peter 1.21. For prophecy never came by the will of man. Never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. They spoke the words of God, man listened, and faith was born. The reality of this old-fashioned faith is not found in one's opinion. It makes no difference what our opinion is. I tell people all the time, I'll stand in the pulpit at Cordova, and I say, listen, never take my word for it. Your soul is too important 
to take the word of any man. Why were those in Berea more uh, faithful? Why were they better than those in Thessalonica? Because they searched the Scriptures daily to determine that what they were being told was true. Do you know who their preacher was? An inspired Apostle Paul. If they would not take his word for it, never take anyone's word for it in our lifetime, right? Your soul is too important. The faith that comes from God through the avenue of His inspired will is the faith that we must have. That's the good old days. Those are the things that we need to remember when we walk in this life. Jude called it the faith that was once for all delivered unto the saints. Jude verse 3. Peter explained this. Acts 15 verse 7. Notice what Peter said. Acts 15 verse 7. Men and brethren... You know that a good while ago God chose among us that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. If faith were subjective, it wouldn't matter what some man told us. It wouldn't matter that a prophet of God had spoken to us and it's recorded in the Bible. If faith were subjective. Faith is not subjective. It is not drawn from within our own experiences. If it were, we'd have no unity of the faith. Ephesians 4 verse 13. And Paul explained and declared very boldly, there is one faith. There is one faith. I don't, there's not my faith, your faith, someone else's faith. There's one faith. There's one faith. Paul said this. He was writing to the Romans and he was talking about faith. That great letter on how to be justified in the sight of God. He explained, for in the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. In other words, the gospel system of faith results in our personal faith. We have the gospel system of faith. We read the gospel system of faith, the New Testament. We believe what it says. In our hearts grows faith our personal faith, and we obey the gospel. But that does not happen unless we're learning. Jeremiah talked about the faith that they needed to listen to. But the problem with Israel was they needed to learn it again. They needed to relearn it, didn't they? They needed to understand what the will of God was. They needed to go back to the good old days, to the old paths, walk in the old paths, Go back to that faith. They had become disobedient. In fact, they had become so disobedient to the truth that Jeremiah knew they'd never repent. He knew their hearts had gotten so hardened that they were unable to repent. You know, we can involve ourselves in sin to the point where it's not possible for us to repent. Not that God wouldn't forgive us. Not that He keeps us from repenting. But that our hearts have gotten so hardened that we will not even consider repentance. That's a sin unto death, isn't it? That's what the prophet talked about. He said, hey, don't, don't you pray for someone that sins a sin unto death. Don't ask God to forgive someone that will not repent. And we'll ask God to forgive someone that is repenting, right? Repenting, repentance. Is there a tougher part of the gospel plan of salvation than repentance? No, there's not, is there? It's easy for me to say I believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God. It's easy for me to actually believe that, right? It's easy for me to state that in front of people. It's easy for me to walk down into water, allow someone to immerse me in water, bury me, bring me up. That's easy. But repentance, 
That's a hard one, isn't it? That's what Israel's problem was. They, they would not go back to the old way. They would not repent. They refused to do it. They fa- in fact said in Jeremiah 6.16, 6, but they said, we will not walk in it. They were adamant. We're not going to repent. That's a sin unto death. Now we need to be very aware of what we're learning though. What's being taught. We need to be very careful about that. Because our souls hang in the balance. There are eternal consequences to what we're being taught. Last Sunday I preached a, uh, a sermon on the, uh, the parables of the lost uh, sheep, the lost coin, the lost son. And I talked about people being lost, that those were three different kinds of people. The lost sheep was lost because it just wasn't paying attention out of neglect. You know, just wasn't paying attention. The coin was lost through no fault of its own. Now obviously when we translate that to our lives, we are responsible for our own souls. But the point is this. Somebody lost the coin. The coin is an inanimate object. Now here's, here's the application, right? We have to be careful what we're learning. Because we might take someone's word for it and they say, all you have to do is believe in, in Jesus and you're saved. All you have to do is once you obey the gospel, even if you do have to be baptized for the remission of sin, once that happens, you're good to go. You don't have to worry about losing your salvation. Someone may tell us that and we may believe it. That's like the lost coin. Someone is helping us to be lost. Now, we allowed it to happen, right? But we have to be very careful. We have to be careful about what we're learning. We need to hold every person that claims to be speaking as the oracles of God to his standard. We need to hold them to His standard. Paul told Timothy that there were those among him, and we all have seen people like this. They kind of outsmart themselves over time. They spend a lot of time in academia, and then they begin to believe that they're just a little bit smarter than probably what they ought to be. Paul said in 2 Timothy 3 verse 7, Always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of truth. Wasn't that what was going on in in, uh, Greece when he was speaking on Mars Hill? They were always wanting to hear some new something, some philosophy. I was telling uh, some of the brethren at lunch, there was a guy that uh, used to worship at Cordova that, that taught that you cannot pray for physical things. Can't pray for someone being in a hospital. Can't pray for someone having a safe journey. You can only pray for spiritual things. I said, so all you can pray for is to ask God to forgive you when you sin. Now, you can pray for someone to obey the gospel, but you can't pray for the one teaching it to them. So it doesn't make sense to me. And I told him, finally, after having hours of conversation with him, I said, Kevin, listen, it ought to be a red flag to you if it took you and your daddy in 2,000 years to figure this thing out. Right? We had 12 apostles, Jesus Christ multitude of faithful brethren all along the way that never understood it quite that way. I said, that ought to be a red flag. We've got to be careful what we're bringing into our minds, what we're learning, because sometimes we learn things that we shouldn't be learning. That's what happened in Galatia. Galatia 1, Galatians 1, 6-9, Paul said, I'm shocked, I marvel, I'm amazed that you have accepted another gospel. He said, it's not even a gospel. But you've accepted it. And then he pronounced a curse on those that teach such things, right? So we have to be careful. What they were learning in Galatia, what, what most people in the world are learning are not, is not the old 
old-fashioned, the good old days, that faith that was born on the day of Pentecost. A friend of mine was telling me, I talked a little bit about it this morning, about a, uh, in class, about a, uh, an individual that he knew that was teaching error on a subject, and ultimately it boiled down to, he said, I have a Ph.D., you probably wouldn't understand this. My friend said, well, I do understand. I, I can read the Bible. I understand that what you're teaching is wrong. But here's the thing. You can have a Ph.D. in math, but unless you recognize that 1 plus 1 is 2, your Ph.D. is not doing very much for you, is it? You have to be able to recognize. Hey, look, I'm for education. I love education. I'm still involved in educating myself at the present. But let me tell you the most important education that we can have is to immerse ourselves in the Word of God. That's where life is. This is a living letter. Jeremiah warned that faith was not enough. He said, you got to go back to the old past, the good old days. He pointed them in the direction of faith. But there's something that our old-fashioned faith needs to bring about, and this is our second point. Old-fashioned fidelity. We need to hear, believe, have that faith in our lives, and it ought to bring about True fidelity, and that can be seen in one's actions. We can believe all day long. One can believe and be lost. What about the chief priest? They believed, yet they would not confess Jesus. Because they didn't want to be kicked out of the synagogue. They liked the praise of men better than the praise of God. You know, when a person truly believes what God says, he or she will do what God asks, right? We understand that. The reaction of obedience is clearly seen in the book of Hebrews. By faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. Hebrews 11 verse 4. By faith he did that. He had the old-fashioned faith and he had the old-fashioned fidelity. There was action in his life. By faith, Noah being warned of God. What did he do? He built an ark. Verse 7. What made Noah think it would rain? Noah had likely never seen rain up to that point. It had probably never rained up to that point. So what made Noah believe that there was going to be a deluge? His faith in God. And that translated into action, right? He believed what God said and he allowed his faith to produce fidelity. You see that same pattern over and over again in the lives of God's people. They allow the faith to move them. Their faith led to action. See, there had to be a reaction to that faith. That's what fidelity is, a reaction, right? But they were led to that because of righteousness. Righteousness, that goes back to our faith, our fidelity. Let's go back to Hebrews. By faith Abel offered God a more excellent sacrifice. By faith Noah, being divinely warned, built an ark. He moved with godly fear, it says. In an age when people without moral anchors are crying out, what is in it for me? What about those that say, no one's honest anymore? What's in it for me? No one's honest. We need the old-fashioned faith and fidelity that says God is honest. God's going to give us eternal life. and He's not just going to give it to us. We have to take it. He's going to offer it to us, but we have to take it from His hand, right? You remember what Solomon said? He gave the purpose of our existence, Ecclesiastes twelve thirteen. He said, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is man's all. That's the, the, the whole of man. Fear God and keep His commandments. That's why we're here. Have you ever truly contemplated that statement? I have a little bit, not near as much as I ought to. 
the whole purpose for our existence. The only reason that we are here is to reverence God. Period. Now, do we have lives outside of our religious rites and ceremonies in our worship service that, that God has commanded us to? Sure we do. Do we have to eat and pay our bills and, and work? Sure we do. But what's the main reason, right? We can go back to the good old days and we can find out what the main reason is. God's reverence. John said, For this is the love of God that we keep His commandments. 1 John 5 verse 3. And His commandments are not burdensome. He's not going to ask us to do something we can't do. You know what God has always expected from us? God has only always expected from us what we can do. It goes back to the, the parable of the talents, doesn't it? One man had five, one man had two, one man had one. It's okay to have one talent. God doesn't punish us for having one talent. He punishes us when we don't use that one talent. It would have been the same thing with the guy with the five talents. If he had not used his talents, God would have punished him. He only expects us to do what we can do. And we can do a lot if we just sit down and think about it, right? If we're not being obedient, we're not fulfilling our purpose in life, and our fidelity is not what it ought to be. We need to dedicate our lives to God, don't we? We need to go back to the good old days. We need to have that old-fashioned faith. We need to have that old-fashioned fidelity. And we need to be, and this is our third and final point, old-fashioned followers. Old-fashioned followers. New and improved is okay. I like new and improved. But if I'm coming up with something that no one else could discover, I'm telling you, we're not that smart in today's world. If I'm coming up with something that Paul couldn't figure out, that Peter couldn't figure out, that the Holy Spirit didn't have the knowledge to lead someone to write or to speak, that person, and if it's me, you don't need to listen to what I'm saying. You need to be an old-fashioned follower, and we need to have the church composed of those people today. Old-fashioned followers. You know, with all the new things that people in academia say we need to do. And it, you know, it's a shame. And, and again, I, I'm not opposed to education. I know it probably sounds like I am, but I'm not. I'm not opposed to education. But there's no wonder that God is viewed as old-fashioned, right? Old-fashioned is viewed as uh, something that's not good. When you read about people talking about believers in God, they always say, oh, they're backwards. They're, they're from uh, the, the rural, rural America. People that, as if we don't have enough sense to be able to get out of our own ways. That's what modern people want us to believe. But the world needs that old-fashioned church that Jesus said He would build. And we read about Matthew 16, 17 through 18. He said, I'll build my church. And when we, when we look at that, anyone that knows anything about grammar, and I'm not, uh, that's not my strong suit, grammar, but I do know that and is a coordinating conjunction. And it connects two things and they have equal value. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Jesus said He would build His church and that's how you get into it. Right? We need that old-fashioned faith that brings old-fashioned followers. We're going to have one body. We need to be members of it. Colossians 1.18 We need to be able to do that. That's what the church needs. The church needs to have old-fashioned followers and we don't need to change it. Let's not change the church. Let's receive the church the way God wants us to receive it. 
and let's pass it off to people in the same pristine way it was when Christ created it. We don't need to change the church. Sometimes old-fashioned is better, and this is an example of that. Old-fashioned is better because that's where God adds the faithful to the old-fashioned church, Acts 2.47. You know, we don't need something different, something new age. The old-fashioned church doesn't need a ten-piece band. The old-fashioned church doesn't need to meet on uh, uh, other day than the first day of the week to partake of the Lord's Supper and to give of our means. We don't need a church like that. We don't need another church. We need the old-fashioned church. We need to perform the worship activities in the old-fashioned way. We look at that in Acts 17, 27 through 28. And we add that to uh, other passages like Ephesians 5, Colossians 3. We do it a certain way. That's the way God wants us to do it. You know, in our age today, it's difficult to tell someone that's not right. It's, it's difficult to be able to tell the difference, and this is the sad part, between a politician and a preacher. It's hard to tell the difference between those two people. I had a friend of mine one time, I said, you give us a bad name, he's a gospel preacher. I said, you're just a lazy preacher. I said, no wonder people uh, do not think highly of preachers in today's world. I said, you wouldn't have a Bible study, one would have to uh, come in off the street and beg you to have one. You're not going to go out and look for a Bible study. I love the man. He's sound as he can be, but he's just lazy. I said, you make the rest of us look bad. We need the old-fashioned church, the one that preaches the salvation of God and not watered down. We need the old-fashioned church that, that preaches from a reliable version of the Bible, not the modern versions of the Bible. Now, on occasion, I use the New Kings the New Kings. New King James Version of the Bible. But say, I understand where it has deficiencies. I understand that. But all of them have some deficiency. Paul warned Timothy, he said, Preach the Word. Be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. We have to do that from the Word of God. We need an old-fashioned church that does that. Preachers need to begin to listen to what God wants to be preached and not what people want to hear. Now, this is called the good news for a reason because we need to hear it. It's enjoyable to hear it. We need to dedicate our lives to it. In the words of the great prophet, stand in the ways and see. Ask for the old paths where the good way is and walk in it. Then you will find rest for your souls. If you aren't walking in the old paths this evening, do that. It's easy to get back on the path. I used to do a lot of hunting while I was growing up, I was a, in high school, and as a young man, I would uh, hunt in all the areas around my house, and every once in a while, I'd get off the path. I'd get lost. It'd be a lot of area, and, and I'd get lost for a moment before I could walk up to a high point or something and discover where I was. But it was very easy to get back on the path once I discovered I was off. I can get back on the path. And that's what we need to do. We need to recognize when we're off the path, get back on the path, and walk in it. We don't have to have a new church. We don't have to have new methods. We don't have to have any of that because let me tell you, heaven is the same right now as it was in eternity. We don't want to change that. And we can't change the way we get there because it's just not going to work. If you have need to answer the Lord's invitation this night, whether you need to believe, repent, confess, be immersed in water, or you need to come back to the Lord because you stepped off the path, do that as we stand and as we sing.